Hello, uh, my name is Craig Wentworth, uh, Principal Analyst at Tech Market View. Welcome to another episode of Totally Sussed, our uh, series of podcasts looking at how technology is being used across a variety of sustainability related use cases. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Andy Wallace, who's uh, Head of Client Innovation with Atos uh, UK and Ireland. And we're, we're principally here really to talk about uh, the importance of biodiversity as a, a key key component in organizational uh, decarbonization plans and specifically about Atos's new partnership with WWF, the Worldwide Fund for Nature, and some of the initiatives being supported there. But before we dive into all of that, I'm going to start by asking Andy to introduce himself. So, so Andy, could you say a little bit more about what your role is at Atos and, and how you came to be involved in this sort of work? Hi, Craig. Yeah, thanks for that intro. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm a technology innovation manager at Atos um, and my background originally was in biology but I've spent the majority of my career in technology delivery and latterly in technology innovation. Um, most recently I also took a sabbatical, I took a year out from Atos to go back to university and study for a master's in marine biology. So, so having returned to the organisation um, I'm working with customers in the area of technology innovation, but very much focused on anything to do with sustainability. Um, at Atos, we've had uh, a lot of work recently in the area of trying to reduce our own carbon footprint and that of our customers. And we are starting to understand how important biodiversity is in parallel with decarbonisation. Mm -hmm. So really now I'm working in the area of technology innovation with a sustainability focus, as I mentioned, and I'm leading a couple of projects broadly in that area of uh, using technology to support biodiversity initiatives, as you say. Right, brilliant. And, and as, a, as a qualified marine biologist, that's a, an excellent additional string, string to bring to the bow, I should think. One would hope. One would hope, yeah. Um, so, let, so let's start with sort of the importance of, of, of biodiversity then, both for you know, maintaining a, a healthy environment generally, but also, as, as you mentioned, you know, a component of decarbonisation plans for organisations. It's, it's something, it's an area that we've looked at at Tech Market View under the um, nature monitoring and management use case area of, of some research we've done for our sustainability technology activity index reports and there's loads of really interesting stuff going on you know, across the globe putting all sorts of technologies to good use as you might expect but before we kind of go on to the specifics i wonder and if you could tell me why this stuff is important right now and, and why organizations should be getting involved when you know perhaps their attention has you know thus far been focused on sort of uh, carbon accounting carbon footprinting reporting reduction and so on in their organization why, why should they take notice of the the biodiversity angle. Yes, absolutely. So I think it comes as no surprise to people to know that forests are important, for example. Um, I think everybody gets the fact that forests um, are the lungs of the world and produce all of the oxygen that animals need to breathe. I think people are increasingly starting to understand that oceans are important, uh, both in stabilising global climate and providing protection and ecosystem services for coastal communities. People are starting to talk also about soils and grasslands. Um, but broadly speaking, the more biodiverse, if I can generalise, an environment is, the healthier that ecosystem and that environment is, the more it provides uh, genetic diversity, which provides resilience for the future. Um, 
and the more it directly captures carbon. So, for example, healthy soils in grasslands have got really, really deep root systems going through them as drought resistant crops um, survive the droughts. And if you lose those natural grasslands to cropland, then they won't survive the, the dry periods as well. Um, if you plough up peat bogs to plant pine trees, then potentially you release all the carbon in the peat bog and create a monoculture. So it might not be universally true, but broadly speaking, the more biodiverse and natural environment, the better its carbon capture potential, and these things are measurable. But biodiversity in its own right is phenomenally important because without the keystone species and the balance between those species, then ecosystems become very fragile in in the advent of uh, environmental or climatic shocks. And it's really the biodiversity yeah. which will ensure their resilience for the future. I wonder if you could um, maybe tell us a bit more about you know, what the work's in, intending to achieve, you know, what's driving it, what the priorities are, that kind of thing. Just starting with KBA, the key biodiversities area. So there is a partnership of about 13 of the world's leading um, environment conservation groups, including WWF and BirdLife International and a number of others. Um, and we are working with them to try to develop digital tools to provide greater automation to the monitor of these key biodiversity areas. So that partnership has identified and mapped over 16,000 areas across seven continents and all of the oceans, um, where for particular reasons there are specific um, unique ecosystems or irreplace irreplaceable ecosystems or keystone species where there are particular needs that drive conservation objectives. Um, and we have chosen to pilot some of our work in East Africa. Uh, so we're starting out with four of the um, conservation areas and national parks in Kenya, where we're looking to develop algorithms to process satellite imagery to make predictions about the health or otherwise of some of those ecosystems. So for example, we're, de we're developing three separate but related algorithms. One to look at our ability to um, process imagery in the visual spectrum. So if we can look at that and see, for example, fencing or roads that might support a four by four or buildings appearing or um, cattle enclosures, which are called bomas in Swahili, which are sometimes very positive for the environment, um, but kind of depends on whether they're where they're supposed to be or not. If we can find those environments, find those things, we, our algorithm can begin to read satellite imagery and make predictions as to particular uh, tags that we can see on that or or patterns we can see in those pictures to try and actually predict where those structures are. And then we're developing a second algorithm uh, where we're comparing um, the multiband satellite imagery, the ratio of infrared to red light, um, and that's the well-established parameter called the normalized difference vegetation index. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, it's been <laughs> used by ecologists for many years. Um, but what we're bringing to it that is new and different is the ability to combine it with the visual image processing, and then bring time series algorithms so that we can look for changes over time. We've, we're starting to get quite strong predictive capability. Um, we're seeing on some of the ability to predict buildings, for example, um, the algorithm 
is measuring itself at over 90% accuracy. And we're looking in one forested area in the east of Kenya towards the Indian Ocean, where we're also starting to get some very promising results on predicting land clearance um, in areas um, where there have been concessions for uh, for biomass, for cook stoves or for pineapple plantations, etc. And we're getting quite good at being able to see where those clearances are and new roads are going in to enable them in some of this forested area. So, yeah, some pretty good early indications, um, not yet at the scale I would like them to be, but that's very much the sure. trajectory we are on. Sure. I mean, uh, these these benefits that you're seeing, e even in these early days, I guess, have has there been any attempt from yourselves or from any of the other stakeholders involved to to look at any kind of formal ROI calculations? Because obviously this this stuff doesn't come for free, and um, you know there's there's a resource implication, there's a cost implication, the technology, there's there's a time implication of getting the stuff all trained up and so on. How how do you put a value on that in terms of being able to to justify continuing the, the work and maintain that business case? Is it something that you have any sort of problems with, or is it one of these kind of understood things that it's just something that you really need need to do at the moment? So I think quantifying the financial value of a good environment is something that um, biologists and ecologists and the wider public and politicians are really struggling with. Mm. I think if this was easy, then we would all have it in our balance sheets and then many, many environmental problems would go away because businesses would only succeed if they were good for the environment. So I think we all need to get better at measuring things and not only measuring things, but putting measures that matter into our into yeah. our corporate reports. Um, so the financial value of a good ecosystem is hard to do. But in terms of return on investment, if we know that we're prepared to invest X amount of money in monitoring and the environmental health in a particular area, then what we can do is measure how effective we are in setting out to achieve our objectives. And then in terms of uh, potential value of the system and platform that we're building for audiences more widely than WWF and their partners and local communities, I could easily envisage a situation where the commercial organizations who have, for example, an active corporate social responsibility investment program, they might be interested in investigating or learning more about um, funding mechanisms, which I'm going to call, I'm going to use the phrase biodiversity credits for the for want of a better phrase. Um, people are spending money to try and protect the environment, and it's very, very hard for them to measure the effectiveness of their investment. And I see a real advantage of this platform in helping organizations to measure how effective their investment, their environmental investment dollars are. Um, and we have heard very much apocryphal stories from some agencies saying, if an organization is prepared to invest for the sake of argument 10,000 in protecting an area, if they knew they could measure how effective that 10,000 had been, they'd be much more willing to put more money after it. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess this these sort of tools are only going to help companies when it comes to you know, complying with upcoming UK legislation on biodiversity net gain and things like that, where you, you're trying to to make a, um, to, to get a figure on, on the impact on, on the ground of, of uh, property developments and so on, and, and people having trouble being able to quantify their impact or, or, 
or, or to, to quantify their lack of impact or so on and so forth. So this sort of stuff all feeds into the improvement of the measure so people can count what counts. I'm guessing you're well. definitely right. You're definitely right. Because what we can do is if we're able to build a platform which does exactly that, then it helps to concentrate the mind on which of the measures that are important yeah. and therefore how to go get the data. So this combination of knowing what to measure, knowing how to measure it, knowing how to find sufficient data that automation can be trusted, those are the things that will go hand in hand with all of these new initiatives about uh, biodiversity, uh, net gain and such like. It's really going to help concentrate the minds on making sure that we all have honest, sensible and creative conversations about setting objectives that will really make a difference. Make a difference and being able to do all of this at scale as well. So it doesn't become a hugely costly, people heavy task, which, oh, definitely. which doesn't, doesn't definitely. get done as well as it could be. Anything that you did but wish you hadn't or vice versa? Anything you can pass on to, to other organisations that might be uh, contemplating doing something similar? I think we have uh, tried quite hard we, to do our scoping well, to gather our data, but then we probably set out a little bit more widely than we possibly should have done. Start small, um, uh -huh. start small, but without cherry picking. I think <laughs> it's so easy when people start small to say, well, let's go and try and solve one problem. I think it's right to focus on the big problem, but what I would suggest people do is get the skeleton of the process working. There are really strong resources out there in terms of all of the different areas, the satellite image processing, the data science, the automation, the AI, the digital platforms, and of course, the amazing ecologists and conservationists on the ground who can feed in their expertise and their advice and their knowledge. Um, and I think the incremental approach, which says, let's get a process that works, you know, Within Africa, we within the East Africa project, you know, we started out looking at 30,000 square kilometers of territory. And then gradually I'm trying to I'm thinking that, you know, sticking with three or four thousand square kilometers <laughs> feels right to get the code working. And once I know it's working, then we can broaden out again um, and then keep talking to those people so that, you know, when the when the when the system starts making predictions, um, that we're able to speak to people who know what it's like on the ground because ground truthing that data is so important. Um, and and I think if I were doing this again, what I would love to do again with the knowledge that I've gained with so much difficulty over the period we've been doing this is helping to know how to ask the right questions of the people on the ground, helping to know right. how to ask for the best support that can make the whole process a bit more efficient because they're desperate to help they're incredibly positive and willing um and i'm sure it must sometimes look to them as if all the techies have gone into a bit of a hole for a while um and are wrestling <laughs> with problems and forgetting to be communicate occasionally so i'd recommend yeah. we don't necessarily always go that way with it Subscribers to our new Sustainability Views research can listen to the full version of that podcast. Head on over to www.techmarketview.com slash sustainability for more details.